Well, it's good to see you. It's really good to be here. It's my wife and I's anniversary today, so it was a good time to be down here in Perth to be back home. I just want to share a little story before we start. Um, in Waluna, it's right on the edge of the desert, so uh, very marginal cattle station. We've got a family there, an indigenous family, who are very ta- uh, faithful and tithing. And when they sell their cattle, they pay their tithes and they're faithful in many ways. Last year, they asked me to pray for them for some grass, for some rain, for some rain, I should say, so there's more grass. So I prayed for them last year with them when they asked me, and I prayed a couple of times for them. Not big prayers, just little prayers. Well, I asked them uh, later on, this year, early this year, I said, well, KP, did you get some rain? He said, yes, Pastor, we've got too much rain. It was flooding out there, we were getting bogged. That was part of the story. And just the last time I was up at Wooluna, I heard the last part, the mother, the matriarch of the family, she told me the rest of the story, how all the other cattle and all the other stations are dying and they're all skinny. And they were actually selling all the stock off because they had no feed. The Aswinch station had feed and their cows were fat and they were selling their cows. It reminds me of those stories when the Adventist farmer would pray for the locusts not to touch their farm. Do you remember those stories? And the locusts would, would, would wipe out all those other fields and the, and the Adventist farm would still be there untouched by the power of God because these people were faithful and uh, in the power of prayer. This morning I'd like you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Before we start, and I'll have a little prayer. Matthew chapter 2. There's a couple of verses there I wanted to see and uh, to make sure that you really get this part. And let's, let's seek the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we, this morning I just want to thank you, Lord, that we could be here together. And Lord, post-COVID, this is my first sermon that I preached, and uh, I look forward to sharing it this morning. And Lord, I believe by the Spirit, I was led to look back at the first Advent, Father, and what happened. The beautiful story of Jesus being born in a manger. But particularly to look at our people, Lord, back then. The mistakes they made, what happened. There are many lessons that we may learn from it today as we look towards the second coming. And Father, it's my prayer that everybody's hearts will be open this morning, that the word of God will speak, that you will speak through me, Lord. And we just want to thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to encourage each other and to sing. We thank you for the glory of Jesus Christ, that we may have him in our hearts, that no matter what happens in our lives, that we just trust in him. Lord, there are many people who are broken around the world financially, people who have lost trust in everything. May these people look towards you, Lord, and find you. May our people be shining lights right across the world. May you, may you really bless those global mission workers, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For thousands of years, God's people had longed for the promised seed. The, depending what scholar that you draw from, there is uh, about 200 to 400 
prophecies concerning the anointed one to come. And one of the most stunning is in Isaiah chapter 7. The Bible said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you shall call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And as the angel comforts Joseph in Matthew 1, in a dream by saying, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. Beloved, I want you to notice the reaction of God's people in Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. The Bible says that after Jesus was born in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, where were the wise men of Israel? Why does God in his wisdom bring these people from the far east? They came to Jerusalem, the Bible says, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, they said, and we have come to worship him. And then Herod the king, the Bible said, heard this, being half Jewish, the Bible says that he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem were troubled with him. This news that the king of the Jews had been born would have spread like wildfire through Jerusalem, through the city of God. And instead of rejoicing about this promised seed, the Bible says that everybody was troubled, disturbed. How could this be? How is it that the religious leaders of Israel, the people of God, have been bypassed by Jehovah. Think about it. Our Heavenly Father uses Gentiles to stir up Jerusalem and this slumbering city. Now imagine a heavenly angel coming down from heaven to see who are prepared to receive Jesus. The angels listening for people talking about this coming Messiah. They knew by the prophecy he was coming soon. But he hears no voices of praise of the Saviour soon to come. This angel, no doubt, would hover over the city of Jerusalem and even over the temple for a time where the divine presence had been manifested for through the ages and even here is the same indifference. What about Perth? If an angel hovered over the city of Perth or this church in Vic Park, would he hear anyone thinking and praying and talking about the second advent of Christ? In Jerusalem, there is little evidence that Christ is expected. Just a few still long for him. No preparation for the Prince of Life.
In amazement, the angel was about to return to heaven with the shameful news. How can this be? How could this happen? But then the angel discovers a group of shepherds who are watching the flock by night. And as they gaze into the heavens at night, they are pondering over the prophecy of this promised seed to come. They knew who was coming. Shepherds who were longing for the advent of the world's redeemer. Here is a company who were ready to receive the heavenly message. And suddenly the angel of the Lord appears before them in that paddock, declaring glad tides of great joy. And the Bible says, I said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. What a lesson is a wonderful story of Bethlehem. How it rebukes our unbelief today. Today, just like back then, so many are just too busy for Jesus. And I'm telling you, 2020 is a challenge for everyone, including the pastor. It's a challenge in the world that we live in today. It really strikes at our pride and our self-sufficiency, warning us today that we may fail to discern the signs of the times right before us today. We may fail to see it. I thought about how nearly all of Jerusalem were troubled about Jesus coming, being born, the king of the Jews being born. What was going on in Jerusalem, I asked myself. Maybe some were so excited about the newest new donkey they were about to receive. Or the latest sandals. Or the newest fashioning clothing. Or was it the latest style of bread or grape juice? Or maybe they were so excited about the newest home display with a one-room mudbrick home with a deluxe stable attached to it. Right across Israel, people seem to only care about temple things that pass away. Just a few waited and hoped that the Messiah would soon come. Just a few. In other words, the first advent is happening all around them. And yet all one could think of was this new donkey. This new housing. The best cooking show. The latest fashion in Jerusalem. It sounds absurd, but it's all too true. When you put all, all into its concepts of today for the SDA church or for Christianity, it's frightening. Beloved, we can look at back at this and we can say to these people, you missed the first advent of Jesus Christ because of a donkey? Are you serious? Every day at the temple, the priest sacrificed a lamb. Every morning and every evening, pointing to the lamb of God that was to come. Yet it seems that even the priests were not preparing to meet that holy child that was going to be born in a manger. They said prayers that they did not mean. They went through the motions of worship to impress others. They loved the praise of men rather than the praise of God. They love money and they love power. No wonder 
so few were ready for Jesus. And the most tragic part today is that God's people today are making the same mistake. As the second coming hurdles towards us, it's just same, same life goes on. Somehow we start to get over COVID-19. We start to see a way through it. No wonder, just 30 years later, when Jesus talks about his second coming towards the end of his ministry, I want you to remember some of the words that he says. And I've just got short passages of what he says about his second coming. Found in Mark 13, Luke 21 and Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Notice the words he uses concerning his second coming. He says to watch and to pray. He says I'm coming in an hour that you do not expect. Know that it is near at the door. I am coming like a thief. You also be ready. It will come as a snare. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. What's there for? For you do not know when the master of his house is coming. Take heed that no one deceives you. Over and over he talks about this deception. And then he said, when you see all these things happening around you, know that the kingdom of God is near. And and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. Back then in the time of Jesus, ten people were enough to start a church. It was considered as a church. So in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about the church just before he comes. In Matthew 24, he's talking about the signs in the world just before he comes. And he says in his church, five are foolish and five are wise. And then he talks about how the bridegroom was delayed and how the whole church slumbers and sleeps, including the wise. Beloved, they all had Bibles, all had access to the oil, the Holy Spirit. They all looked towards the second coming of Jesus. Yet some came to Jesus afterwards and said to, Lord, said to him, Lord, Lord, open the door. And Jesus responds, I don't know you. Beloved, it's not enough to know the truth as seven-day Adventists. Just to know the truth. God's back people then knew the truth. They knew the promised seed, the anointed one, the Messiah was coming. Some had memorised whole books of the Old Testament, word for word. They knew exactly where Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem or Judea because there's two places called Bethlehem. Today it's not safe just to trust in ourselves, to trust our own judgement, doing our own will or our own thing. So busy that Jesus gets the leftover time. We should be so busy seeking God's will. Amen? What little time we have should be used never for the cares of this world. Very rarely. Is there a difference between our will and God's will? And today this is where I'm bringing it right back down to. Because I know when I look back at the first advent that very few people were doing God's will just before Jesus was born in that manger. We can ask ourselves today, do we know God's will for us? 
And there's a beautiful passage in Jeremiah where God is speaking to us personally here. He said, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's God's plan for us today. To know his divine plan for each and every one of us. Are we seeking for this? Are we asking for this in the prayer? We all have gifts. Every one of here have gifts, multiple gifts, some of us, that we may not even know that we have. But God knows. He has the blueprint in his hands. He knows us better than we know ourselves. How often I think about how we rip ourselves off by doing our own will when God had such a more superior plan that will bless you in every part of your life. We settle for the crumbs of this world that can disappear overnight. Beloved, when you look back at the Bible, at the time of Jesus being dedicated, Anna knew God's plans for her. The Bible says that she did not depart from that temple, but she served God with fastings and prayers night and day and spoke of Jesus to all of those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Simeon knew God's plan for him. Being a just and a devout man, the Bible says, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel before he died. And the Bible said that the Holy Spirit was upon him. He recognised the Messiah as soon as he saw him. He held up that child Jesus before the people. He blessed God by saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Now he would allow to die in peace that he's seen. He set his eyes upon the Saviour. For my eyes have seen your salvation. This child's destiny, he prophesies, is for the rise and fall of many in Jerusalem or Israel. Beloved, in the life of Jesus himself, there are many good examples. He is our example in all things of how to know the Father's will for us. We see it right there in the Lord's Prayer. The Bible says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Notice it's not our will, It's God's will. Not a blending of the two wills, but our will becomes God's will. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who said to me, Lord, Lord. In other words, these are Christians coming to Jesus, claiming the promises of God, shall enter the kingdom of God. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You see this come up over and over again. The will of his Father. Every time they attacked him, he says, he always reminds the Jews, the leaders, I always am about doing my Father's will. In Luke 6, Jesus says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? In the power of the two sons, both are called to work in the Lord's vineyard. Jesus tells the story, and then he asks the question, which of the two done the will of my Father? And they answer the first one, the one who rejected it at first, but later heeds the call of God to work in his kingdom. And then Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, that tax collectors and harlots will enter the kingdom of God before you. Beloved, Jesus points out, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. 
In other words, Jesus is saying to his people then, you saw the power of God change these broken people through the power of John the Baptist and yet you still did not believe you rejected God's plan and will for you. Jesus was not talking to the unconverted but his own people, even leaders of his day, the ones who are meant to be shining lights of the world. Israel was that smallest nation which meant to be the shining light to give salvation or show salvation to the entire world. But they failed. So see, we see in this story here that, that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God, Gentiles submitting to the will of God. And these are baby Christians coming to Jesus just as they are. And, but he doesn't leave them there, amen? He changes their hearts. He changes their lives. In John 5, Jesus said, I, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous. And he says the reason why is because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Just knowing our Bibles will not save us. The word of God has to transform our hearts. And I remember that great singer, preacher that came to our Easter camp many years ago and how he says that many Christians will lose salvation by just nine inches. He's talking about the distance from our heart, from the head, to our brains, to the heart. It hasn't, the knowledge hasn't transformed and changed our hearts. We learn this from the first advent. We learn this when we look at the story of the ten virgins, the sheep and the goats, the parable of the talents. And when you look at Matthew 25, Jesus constantly is talking about the people who were doing the will of God, basically, and those who didn't. That was the difference between the sheep and the goats. All knew Jesus was coming. All had access to his word. All understood the Bible prophecies, yet so many were not ready with their Bibles were still in their hands and they still missed Jesus coming. They still missed the first advent. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be, tra- be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the word of God, he's saying, that you may prove what is good, and acceptable, the perfect will of God. And then he further, further on he says in Colossians by saying that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Christ in his life on earth made no plans for himself. When you look at the life of Jesus, he made no plans for himself each day. He accepted the Father's plans for him. And day by day, the Father unfolded his plans to Jesus. And Jesus is our example in all things. So we should depend on Jesus that our lives may be the simple outworking of his will. Beloved, God has a plan for each and every one of us. He has a divine plan, much better than what we are planning, I can tell you to use our talents, to be shining lights, to be the salt full of flavour that is not dead on the ground, being earnest, wise virgins as we hurdle towards the second coming, to be the wheat that is worth harvesting when he comes. 
Sometimes it's hard to know God's will for us. We have to ask ourselves hard questions. We have to ask God for his wisdom. But he knows, he's all knowing. Beloved, I believe that Jesus is coming. I really do, that he's coming soon. When our church shut down for three months this year in Kalgoorlie, 73 people came back. Many people, some people didn't come back. But I know that nine Adventists walked into our doors and we're studying with these people. The Spirit of God is moving. Satan is moving hard too. The war between good and evil is really intensifying. But I know that Jesus Christ is coming soon. And as seven-day Adventists, we have a very powerful message that every child, every person, every tribe, every nation, every tongue needs to know. I want to finish on a little story because it's about God's will and my will. And um, about, I can't remember how long ago, it was about 15 years, been in ministry 11 years, so it must be at least 15 years ago, I got very, very sick. I'm a workaholic, I wasn't going to church, I was brought up in Adventist, but I was very, very sick. And uh, Gwen Mocham gave a big heap of old Adventist books, she had relatives here, to my sister. And my sister gave them to me. And then I uh, got sick down south, I was down south, my sister was in Perth, so she got the books to me and I never touched the books, I was out there inside the books, inside the box, underneath the bed. So I got really, really sick, I was sick for many days couldn't work so I started reading these books and I was convicted of three things even though I was brought up as seven Adventist I left the church at 14 I was convicted of the Sabbath first thing the second thing I was convicted that the Lord Jesus Christ died for me personally that was big especially the writings of I'm just trying to think of his name George Vanderman old books but still very powerful um, the day to remember talking about the Sabbath the third thing I was convicted of was to be a missionary for indigenous people. My wife is part of Aboriginal. And then I sort of like forgot about that, that, that thing, but I started to try to keep the Sabbath from then on. It went on, battle went on for a long time to keep the Sabbath for whoever I was working with or who I was working for. And so, long story cut short, 10 years later I'm sitting in Mamarafa College because my wife is part of Aboriginal, studying. I'm a second white fellow. They were able to study at Mamarafa College. And I'm sitting there in my first year class, right at the front, because I'm deaf, and I had no who knows back then, I'm deaf in both ears. I'm sitting right at the front, and I asked a question to the Lord. Lord, was I meant to be here, or is this my will? Was this my plan or my desire to be a minister of the gospel? It was a hard question. But it was an honest question, because sometimes, you know, when we do things, it's more about us. It's what I want to do. So I ask God, Lord, did you want me in this classroom? Did you call me to be a minister? I had forgotten about that event 10 years before. Boom! Straight in my head. I remember 10 years before reading those books to be a missionary for indigenous people, that Jesus Christ died for me personally and that the Sabbath is true. You can't refute it. From then on, that first year to fourth year, I knew that God had designed for me to be there and finish that minister's course. Praise the Lord. Amen.
And so this is my 11th year of ministry. And that's the time we've got to ask the hard questions. Because I know that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And often we live in our lives, we are ripping ourselves off. We're shortchanging ourselves because we're not asking Jesus enough. Lord, what do you really want me to do today? Is there someone that really you want me to touch? May God bless you as you strive toward the second coming. Father, we just want to thank you this morning for the opportunity to study your word. And Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us here, including myself this morning, that we may desire more and more each day to be led by you, to be led by the Holy Spirit. Lord, often we have our own plans, we have our own thoughts, but Lord, that we may have the divine input far more in our lives, day by day. And Father, we know that there are many who are broken out there in the world, including ourselves in the church, but only you can make us whole. Only you can bring that peace that passes all understanding. Only you that understands us more than our wives or our husbands, our families. Lord, you know you have the blueprint for each and every one of us. You have the blueprint for Vic Park Church. That you may bless this church, Lord. It's a very warm and loving church. Lord, they're very earnest here in their worship and I would just pray that you continue to bless them. And the one sign that, that tells me that this church is heading in the right way when it comes to being ready for Jesus, is that non-Adventists are walking through the doors. Lord, that is a sign to me that God's Spirit is here, that you're loving the people's heart here. And we thank you for that, Lord, that you may continue to bless them, bless their pastor, bless their elders, Lord, and bless all their members. And uh, we thank you for the time we've had. In Jesus' name, amen.